Welcome, everyone, to the MetSpa Accelerator Podcast, brought to you by Cast Clinical Consulting and Everable Marketing, the go-to resource to learn the latest hacks and the best practices for marketing and growing a profitable medical aesthetics practice. I'm your host, Luis Trevino, and I'm joined today with our co-host, Cassie Craig. Right. Welcome, everyone, to the eighth episode of the Mets Ball Accelerator podcast. Super pumped and excited because we have a very, very special guest with us today, Leon Garber, CEO of Dermacare of Hampton Roads, based out of the Virginia Beach area. And I want you guys to listen in very closely because Leon brings it guys you know he he really brings his business knowledge um leon has a very interesting story he comes from a military background and now being a medical aesthetics owner having a seven-figure practice that he took from eight hundred thousand dollars a year to close to 3.5 million a year in less than four years he really has some key insights here in this podcast that you really want to listen to and The big takeaway on this podcast is how Leon, not being a medical provider, not actually, you know, doing treatments himself, was able to accomplish this by having and cultivating a team that is revolving around excellence. Um, He has an amazing team, a team that really cares for their clients, and that's how he's been able to really grow and take his business to the next level. So if you have issues with employees or you're trying to find the next uh, person to bring into your team that's going to be an A player, make sure to listen to this podcast because Leon has some really interesting insights into how he's made this work for his practice. Happy to be here. It's awesome. Why don't we uh, go ahead and just get started by kind of letting people know a little bit about your background, kind of how you got, you have a really interesting story and uh, you got started in the military and you ended up in medical aesthetics. So, so tell us how that happened. Bit of a leap. Uh, you know, long before the military, I was a son of a dentist and I grew up in and around my dad's dental practice. So being in this world of, of medical things wasn't that much of a stretch. Uh, but I, I did spend uh, my first 10 years out of college flying for the Navy full time. Uh, before becoming a reservist and running my first business, which was the flatbed trucking company. Again, probably a little farther out on the wings than even a med spa was. Cause I'm a, you know, I'm a little Jewish kid from New York and I'm running a redneck flatbed trucking company out of Jacksonville, Florida. Fig- go figure. Um, after that, I landed up working as a business broker, helping people buy and sell their businesses and very specifically their practices, dental practices yeah. in particular. Cause I knew that I knew that arena well, uh, and along came uh, Dermacare uh, looking to sell. Uh, I love the business model so much uh, that I decided to, like a really bad drug dealer, smoke my own stash and bought Dermacare for myself. Uh, the reality is, uh, again, not only did they have a great model uh, and a great sustainment plan through recurring revenue, but uh, when I bought them in 2011, I really knew that this industry was going to come to rise and that non-invasive treatments were really going to be the future of aesthetic medicine. And so I saw that as an opportunity to get in early uh, without having to go through your initial startup, having yeah. done a startup prior to that and knowing how hard that was. Uh, I thought buying into something that was already uh, a profitable plan. Uh, 
Yeah, I want to and yeah. say I've I've seen the inside of a lot of practices. First off, everybody, um, excuse me, my voice is gone. I I don't know why. <laughs> I've got a lot going on, and my voice went on, my my voice left me this morning. So, anyway, um, Leon, I want and I know I've communicated this to you, but I want everybody to know I've seen the inside of a lot of practices, and I had the opportunity to spend uh, almost three full days in your practice. And the way that I set that up, or the way that we did that was I went in and I secret shopped. So I got a consultation from all of the girls who do consultations. And Leon uh, snuck me around, and I'm like in the in the back <laughs> closet times to hide me from the next uh, the next esthetician is going to do a consultation, but I was so, um, impressed. He, you have a staff that's on site about, about seven to 10 people at all times to manage yeah. that kind of staff. Um, typically there is a lot of, um, you know, just negativity going on with staff members. And again, they thought I was a client. So the way that I was treated by your staff was top notch. Um, I was able to give them direction. And another impressive thing about your staff was I gave them, you know, we, we spent a day and I was um, a client and then I told them who I was and we spent an, about an hour going over some things that we would change in the consultations to improve their gross revenue and sales. <clears throat> and um, the next day they were to come in and we were going to practice together this new consultation strategy. I had never seen before. I give a piece of paper, right? It's like a four page document. I had never seen the amount of effort. These girls went home and studied um, and they were prepared the next day and they were just like, like the amount of um, investment that they have for your company, the, the alignment with the company's mission. I spend a lot of time with people typically trying to get them to realize that their own mission is in line with the company's mission and you have achieved this and you have people who have been with you for years and people who honestly and you said it yourself could probably make better money somewhere else, but they Absolutely. stay with you. And it's because of this community, because of this environment that you have inside your business. So yes, tell everybody your secrets. Because, well, and, um, and, it's now, and then I also want to highlight that it also goes back down to leadership and Leon. I mean, just, this is just a shout out to you because you know, those people wouldn't stay there if the leadership wasn't amazing. And that's you and you know, and your top, your, well, your I'm thinking it really well. Your, you're e-sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, tell us, Matt, what's the secret sauce? Uh, how, do you, how do you do this? <laughs> secret sauce. Let's see. So, um, you know, I told you all I did 10 years of active duty, but I, I stayed on another 18 years as a very, very busy reservist. And for the last 20 years of my flying life, I spent it in one of the Navy's only two special operations squadrons, flying the Navy version of a Black Hawk for the SEALs and Green Berets with multiple deployments to central Iraq back in 04 and 05. And so our squadron really was not the regular fleet squadron with a bunch of kids right out of flight school and right out of their military training and boot camps. Everybody was there by invitation. Everybody was all grows up and everybody fought to get there. They wanted to fly the real mission. They didn't want to be sitting off the coast someplace, you know, sucking their thumbs while everything was going down in country. Um, they wanted to be a part of the fight and they wanted to be at the tip of the spear at the highest possible level they could operate at. So they fought to get there. When they got there, it was really adopting the special operations world's ethos, which is quality over quantity, team over self, mission over team, everybody pulling in the same direction. 
and, and then learning how, for me, learning how to do what a Green Beret team does. So think about it. You take 12 dudes, you pluck them down in the middle of nowhere, you give them 150 dudes from the local country. who They're not even literate. They've never even been to grade school. And they've got to take these guys and mold them into a team that can fight to take their country back. They're working by, for, and through others. So I wasn't just a pilot. I was a leader and a manager. Every Navy officer is, a, is an officer first and a pilot second. How do I get people to do that? Well, I just got to watch these Green Berets in action, and you, you learn a lot. Um, so for me, now running Dermacare, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a business guy. I'm not a doc. I'm not a, a, a PA. I'm not an esthetician. I don't do treatments. It forces me to work on it, not in it. Mm -hmm. um, and if I'm going to work on it, not in it, and I'm not producing revenue myself, good golly, A, I have to run a great business or I'm not going to eat. Yeah. B, I don't have any excuse to not run a great business because it's not like I'm in the treatment room all day. Right. Uh, so everybody says, how do you go from Spec Ops Navy to a, a half a dozen women and all the estrogen? And the answer is <laughs> you just adapt your leadership style to the folks you're leading. No different than those Green Berets did when they show up in Afghanistan or Iraq or, you know, the Southern Philippines and have to adapt their leadership style to accomplish the mission by, for, and through the people they're working with. This is the same thing. What matters to my team? How do I connect with them? How do I build a relationship with them? And how do I unite everybody around the mission? First of all, you hire great people, all right? So a selection process is key. Oh, by the way, how do you know what to select if you don't know what your culture is? So all the way back to the beginning, what is Dermacare's culture? The culture is a culture of excellence, of putting team over self and, and the mission, patient care over the team, uh, even putting those things in some cases over profit, meaning we're never going to compromise ourselves and our integrity just to make a buck today and then shoot ourselves in the foot for tomorrow, right? Yeah. The other piece of that is, hey, how do you run a, a medical institution when you're not a doc? The answer is, again, it's easy. The answer is we're always going to do good medicine first. And bad medicine is never good business. It's not. Good medicine is good business. And I'm sure Cass uh, can, can lean in on that as well. Uh, she gets that in her practice. And all of a sudden, when your people trust you because you're not asking them to do crazy stuff uh, and you're leading them toward a goal that they all understand is the right goal and you're bringing the right people in, and when you're human and make a mistake and you brought the wrong person in, you ixnay it quickly and send them on their way, right? Hire slowly, fire quickly. Yep. Uh, you, 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 over time, not just build a team, you're building a culture and a reputation that starts to get around town. And next thing you know, and it didn't click for me. I knew I was building a good team. I knew that was a goal, but I didn't understand how culture would literally drive the success of the business. But it clicked for me when I had one of the top nurse practitioners in, in, in our whole metro area who was at what is ostensibly the top derm practice in cosmetic medicine in the area, nationally known guy, but very dysfunctional. She could have gone anywhere in Hampton Road she wanted. Anywhere. And almost all of them would have paid more than I could afford to pay. But that wasn't where she was going. She was coming to us because she wanted to come someplace that she knew was well-managed, had a great environment, that people were happy to come to work every day, and that she could grow old at. And she knew from our reputation that we were growing and morphing. And so she was willing to give up money today for long-term happiness and success. 
stability. And that's what, you know, in, in your practice, what I saw was this, like I said, like this investment that they had for the um, well-being of the patient and the well-being of the practice. When, when I teach sales, uh, there's a fine line there because salespeople are often uh, motivated by the dollar, like you're saying. And so you get into a place where you're tempted to make bad medical decisions or bad decisions for your patient to increase your commission check or anything like that. Now, um, I, I looked at your pay structure as well, Leon, and I, I want to talk about your bonusing system sure. and how you can get people to be attached to increasing gross revenue without tempting them to make bad decisions for the patients. Talk to sure. about that. So uh, the, the system we use now, I inherited from the prior owners to their credit. Um, they wanted to bonus the staff. Oh, let me back up. So we don't pay commission on procedures ever, never, doesn't happen, all right? Now all of a sudden you're paying commission on procedures and next thing you know, your front desk is getting beat up because one of the mid-levels didn't get the injectables patient that called in and the other one did. Or one of the SDs got the new patient and the other one didn't. So we don't, we don't play that game ever at all. Uh, the only commission we pay is on retail product. Everything else is everybody's on an hourly rate uh, and they share in the profits. Now, right now we arrive at that from a very simple, and I'll say it, a little bit bass awkward way. Uh, mm -hmm. I figure out ahead of time what I think the profit margin is going to be for the month based on, you know, we already know the basic idea of our break even point, but your specials every month can, can drive that up or down a bit. A big injectables month might make it less profitable at, at a certain level than a big laser month. Uh, and then I set a revenue goal that will that will be our at least basically profitable point and start putting money in the kitty whenever we get to that point. And for every ten thousand more, I put another thousand dollars in the kitty. So if our break even for the month is a hundred fifty grand, at hundred fifty there's a thousand dollars in the in the bonus kitty. At hundred and sixty there's another thousand. We hit two hundred and we're up to about six grand in the kitty. Everybody shares in that equally. The front desk, because without front desk, taking those calls and those emails and turning them into consults and converting them, you have nothing. Uh, the SDs and the nurses and the mid-levels all share in it. Uh, managers on our own plan, and I, of course, eat off a of cash flow because that's what you do. Um, so everybody wins together. That's the key. Everybody wins together. Not just the staff, but the whole practice. The practice is profitable. Everybody shares in the profit. So we're all aligned. We're right now researching other ways to modify our bonus plan to do the same idea, but tie it to stuff we want. So is it okay if I get like business analytics finance here for a couple minutes? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Here we go. If I want to bonus people on profit, but I'm actually bonusing them off of revenue at two ends of the P and L, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. <laughs> I, didn't I didn't change it because it was working. Uh, but at the end of the day, we really want to bonus people off of what they have control over. So if, if I, I would tell you, if I had an incredibly mature, business-savvy staff that could draw the P&L out just like I could, I might say, hey, let's do it on actual net profit or even better, cash flow mm -hmm. uh, at the end of every month or at the end of every quarter. That's a little, that's a little far out. I want to stick it to KPIs, right? Key performance indicators. What is your what is your what is your staff really control? They control gross margin and gross revenue, right? They decide 
if that patient's getting injectables or exilis for their face, if they get exilis or cool sculpting on their body, uh, if they get peels or photofacial for their browns and reds. And so the teaching points are how to meld medicine and business in a way that's ethical and maintains integrity while also looking out for the clinic. And the answer is, hey, what are your best medical options for this patient? Once you've decided those, amongst those options, what's most profitable for the clinic? That's the option to pick, right? It's doing the right thing for the patient and then having that, that room to maneuver because we have two or three ways to do almost everything at Dermacare. Picking what's most profitable for the clinic, knowing it's also the most efficacious for the patient. I want that, that turns out to gross profit. Go ahead, Cass. I know you. I just want to say I want everybody who's listening to rewind and listen again three or four times because you have a lot of big, important topics that fall in there that a lot of business owners are not aware even exist. When you talk sure. about indicators, um, yeah. how many people know what their close rate is every week versus you know how many leads they got, how many showed, how many bought, how many didn't, what's your gross margin. Exactly. Um, you know, uh, marketing expenses, all of these numbers need to be, I, I do a compass meeting every week with the executives and we, we track these numbers. I have about 10 KPI numbers that we need to look at. And they're really our gauges. I've said before, running a business is, is I imagine I've never flown a plane, but it's kind of like what I see a pilot has Very similar. all of these gauges in front of them and they have to keep an eye on them all at once. And that's business. If you focus too much on your gross income, then you might not be focusing enough on the quality in the in the procedures. If you focus too much on you know the the close rates, you might miss the uh, show rate for your appointments and no shows and letting those get out of control. So there are about there are about 10, 15 numbers that I track weekly. I want everybody to, to rewind and listen to what Leon said until it makes sense to you. And if you have questions about any of those those topics, please write us. Um, Leon's, Leon's a great guy and we've talked about uh, consulting together because you have this, this, your superpower is team. Your superpower is management. That is, I mean, you've got that down, but you're also a very business savvy man. And, um, you've, and that's why your, your practice has grown from when you got it, I believe you said it was an $800,000 a year practice and this that's year, right. 2.5. Ballpark. Yep. Yeah. We'll see how the next, uh, five weeks. And that's four years, four years. Uh, yeah, we did eight ish in what I think 13. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, four yeah. and a half, five years we, we dug out. Yeah. You've, you've done an, an incredible job with looking at this as a business. And I want to point out too, you talked about ethics and there's a, a huge, I, I always, um, try to steer people away from commissioning procedures, commissioning individual procedures. I like this bonusing kind of system or a flat, you know, if somebody makes a sale, give them 20 bucks, but not base it on the value of the sale because medical ethics, you know, it's in very few places in medicine, can you, uh, you know, drive a, you know, push a patient to do excellence or cool sculpting. And, you know, the business person would put the person, the, the service that has the most profit margin in front of the patient rather than what the patient actually needs. And that's where, you know, there's just this, this fine line that people walk with commissioning. I've heard of people paying um, in cool sculpting $25 per application. So every time they do a cycle, the, the technician gets $25. Well, then you have somebody, and I actually saw this recently, a client had um, 
somebody treating over a hernia. And rather than the, the medical director had, uh, had recommended that they do a cool smooth pro rather than any of the suction applicators because the hernia had been repaired. Um, but the technician, because it, she was going to get 10 cycles versus one, pushed this patient into treating something that, you know, this was a, a bad ethics decision. And she, so she literally diagnosed and prescribed. Exactly. And she's a tech. Yep. Yep. No more than an esthetician's license. So it's, it's really uh, just this, if, especially if you're a larger practice like yourself with many people who are recommending services, mm -hmm. you can't keep as close an eye on that as you would need to if you're commissioning per procedure or commissioning yeah. per dollar that comes in. So this bonus structure, this team, this community, again, this is your superpower. And so I want everybody to take what Leon said, rewind, play, rewind, play Please. until it makes the, ba the basics are, yeah, well, let me back up on what Cass talked about at the beginning of her piece there. Uh, she tracks those KPIs every week. What I'm doing with changing my bonus plan to gross margin for the providers is moving that number that, that dictates their bonus closer to the actual KPIs, right? So now every week, we're going to be able to look at the KPIs and relate that to the gross margin which is how they get bonus, and it's going to make those connections for them of how behaviors and actions taken during the day come down to that gross profit, that gross margin that we're, that we're making. And then they already understand how it flows through the, uh, the overhead and down to, down to net profit. They get that already. You can extrapolate, you know, you can see that things like um, show rate for, for cold audience when we're running like Facebook and Google leads sure. into our, our schedule. At times you see a 50% no-show, you know, or a 50% cancellation. And so driving commissions and bonuses toward that number, um, I, I give $5 to anybody who off of Facebook or Google has the appointment actually show up, whether they purchase or not. So commissioning things like that, which automatically increase the bottom line, that get your, your right. clients or your staff away from pushing clients into procedures that may not be right for them. So kind of thinking outside the box on your commission structures. Um, but everybody, I, I really want them to, to dissect and really question the way that you've been doing it. Think, um, think about uh, that for a minute, what, what Cass just put out. She's taking the KPIs and she's with, with small money. We're not talking big dollars. We're talking $5 here, $10 there. She's incentivizing the right behaviors that turn into the building blocks of a sale, right? Yeah. You can't sell somebody if they don't show up. No button seat means no sale. So she's giving her staff the opportunity to bump up what effectively is their hourly rate by doing the right things and being better at them. If I can make myself an extra five or 10 or $15 an hour consistently, because I'm learning what my boss lady is teaching me about how to make a conversion over the phone or via email and be better at it. Hey, we haven't had somebody do bad medicine. We're just getting a button to see to have a consult. But yeah. without a button uh, to see, number, another number that um, interesting to, to watch is your B backs. So in sales as a, as a whole, we learn that BBACs don't come back. Buyers are liars. They're going to tell you that they got to go talk to their husband when in fact they're just running away. So I incentivize the BBACs. Um, if you're, so every day we see how many people said they would come back and how many people actually came back and we track that percentage. Um, if somebody has a BBAC, then they get five bucks. 
So it's those kinds of little incentives that can add up to somebody making an extra $50, $100 a day, uh, but not incentivizing that, that close, thinking outside of just the, the sale itself and the close, because yeah. all of these behaviors that add up to better sales rates. There you go. I think yeah. the big takeaway is understanding your KPIs, setting up your bonus structure around them, not just the big picture that I talked about, which is, hey, we're going to share profits at the, end of the, at the end of the month and how we get there but incentivizing the behaviors that make the cogs of the wheel turn because that's what your business is. It's a big hand crank that you spin and if you do all the right, take all the right actions and you crank it through, it should push out money at the end of the day. You've yeah. got to incentivize all those actions. It's, uh, yeah. it, it, this is the medical aesthetics of Jack Stack and the great game of business of how they took that, that remanufacturing plant in BFE Springfield, Missouri and made it profitable again when International Harvester couldn't. There's, there's your pro tip book of the day for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Go read Jack Stack's Great Game of Business. And while we haven't made it totally employee-owned at Dermacare, uh, taking the lessons away of how to motivate your staff and give them some ownership in the outcome is everything to getting buy-in from your team. So Great yeah. Game of Business. That's your, yeah. that's your weekend read. Awesome, Leon. That's that was some valuable stuff right there. I want everybody to listen to that five times. I, I feel like listen to it five times. Remind myself of my own my own diatribe and cast <laughs> his head onto it. <laughs> you want to look yeah. KPI, let me back up one last book for you because if you want to go read about KPIs and how to make it all happen, uh, I'm going to plug uh, Traction by Gino Wickman. Uh, oh, his, I was about to say, right. I was about his, to yeah. His entrepreneurial operating system is what we're talking about here. Uh, so Gino Wickman, Traction. Read, read Jack Stack first, uh, yeah. and then go read Traction. The, yeah. the other one that I, that I like, too, that Cassie, I know you were talking about the gauges that I think does a good job of talking about is the four disciplines of execution. I don't know if Absolutely. you guys have heard yep. that one. Yep. Like, cause it's like, uh, I know. And there's one <laughs> called um, Release Your Breaks, guys. Release Your Breaks is an excellent one. I would recommend traction before release your brakes. Yeah. So, yeah. so we just talked about a whole bunch of stuff, but there's a couple of underlying pieces of that foundation that I just want to take a minute and throw out there. Cause I know I'm going to be, we're going to be watched or listened to by folks who are either in startup or mm -hmm. they're, they're in that, you know, first couple of years They're mm -hmm. you know, last month was 15 grand for the month. Numbers, yes. Right. They're trying to hit 20 grand for the month for the first time. We've all been there. A um, couple of things to keep in mind. Number one, if you're working in it, not on it, you're, you're stunting your growth. Number two, first things first. If you're busy learning how to inject before you open, that's great. But if you don't know how to get butts in seats, yes. you got nobody to inject. So if you don't have your marketing figured out ahead of time and you marketing don't put money sales. toward that, yes. Yes. you must have a plan to put butts in seats. You must understand the flow through funnel of a phone call or email to a great front desk who converts it to a consult to how you're going to run your consult. If you don't have those nailed, you're going to run out of friends and family to do Botox with pretty fast. Yep. And you got, you know, it's, Go ahead, you don't have to be the best at everything. I see a lot of uh, providers like artists, right? People who are great at what they do and they open a practice because they think if you build it, it will come, but this is not the field of dreams. Um, everybody's anymore. doing Right. So you don't have to be an expert at marketing. You have people like Luis out there that honestly are less expensive than hiring a marketing director yes. and we work twice as hard and have proven <laughs> systems in other markets. So Luis 
fills a, a spot that used to, uh, 10 years ago, you would have to hire this person in-house and it would cost a good six figures a year to have the right person. So, and, and, and I'll attach something else to that. Plus, it's also not, not having to spend on, because you had one person that was providing direction, but then you still have to hire the designers. You still have to manage, you know, get additional ad spend. Yeah. Yes. Do other little yeah. things. 12 people in one. And, yeah. and the great thing about Luis is like used to, I, I went to health clubs for a long time, so I would hire a marketing expert to put together a, a plan, a 12 year plan for me. And that person would have to find 10 other people. So Luis knows those 10 other people and those 10 people don't have to be in my market anymore. So Luis, I know you work with people who are overseas. He finds the experts in the world. So we have more access to better brains for less money. And we have proven systems that have worked in other markets. So it's less of a risk at this point in, um, in yeah. business history. Right. But then, you have, you know, your sales piece. So marketing and sales have to, like, like Leon's saying, you have to fill the seats and you have to get them to say yes. And these are not your friends and family. So the sales piece is very important. You have people like myself. And then um, for this community, I, I walk into businesses and there's no community. And that's, you know, it takes so much less effort. I've watched Leon work and he literally can sit back, throw his feet up on the desk <laughs> and just have a conversation about something unrelated to his practice because he has freedom as a business owner. So people like Leon have a lot of, um, a lot of experience, strength, and hope for uh, people who want that kind of, you know, and everybody wants it, freedom you in got, business. You, gotta, you can't grow until you get to the point of working on it, not in it. And you yep. can't get there if you don't build a team. That's uh, true. Yeah. So uh, on it, not in it. That's the first business book you should ever read. It will buy Michael Gerber's The E-Myth. And get yes. that garbage out of your head. She might be baking cakes and not cooking up faces, but put your egos aside, medical people, and recognize that you might be the, the greatest injector, the greatest surgeon, the greatest whatever. If you don't have the business stuff dealt with, you're a glorified technician, and you're wondering why things are not coming your way. You have to find time to work on it. Um, so he makes a case. Yeah. Um, find people who have what you want. I'm a little negative there, but I'm trying to get through to people. You got to get You're going to get out of the hole. And then just, just so our audience also understands, like, Leon, you come from this, you come from, in addition to the military, right? You come to this background that you build, you consulted people on building businesses. and then How to sell your business. Them. And so, guys, it's all about the assets you have in your business, right? And so your marketing piece, like having a system figured out for that, that's an asset. That's there's there's value attached to that, and you can sell it. But your staff, like your patient list, I'm sorry, your patient list is an asset. Your staff, your team, like the way the procedures, the operations, all that, those are assets. And this is what Leon is talking about because if you like, again, I hear in this podcast we talk a lot about like starting with the end in mind, right? And so we've talked about that before. Right. What do you, what is your goal? Like, did you get in this business because you want to sell it? You want to retire? You want to pass it on to your children? It doesn't matter. All of those three things, if you want to survive, even to get to that point, you can do all of things you're talking about. Yeah. So let me, let me put that, yeah. let me paint a picture. And I want to point out. Go ahead, Cass. Oh, the other thing I want to point out that Leon does a great job at, um, I really just, I left that place and I was just so impressed. And what I was able to give you, was so much more valuable because you had a team clicking along that could receive new information. 
Um, Leon spends a good amount of time, as I do with my own staff, training. Yeah. Paying, like, line item on the <laughs> Not just clinical. And getting, yes, yes, getting um, the business training under the belt. Because your, your, your procedure um, uh, providers, they're trained. They went to school. They're very passionate usually about their procedure. That's not where they mm -hmm. need to help. It's getting people from A to Z to yeah. make the choice. Um, it's understanding how to track numbers and yeah. data gathering. So look at, at comprehensive and kind of global training, and that's something that you're excellent at. Yeah. Uh, Leon, so invest to recap their, their sets of comments just now, uh, with Cass, we, we decided to get rid of our consultant uh, a year or two after I took over. Yeah, she was just not the right person anymore. And rather than hiring a, a replacement consultant, the staff really wanted to do their own consults. Uh, and I was up for that, but they had to understand that they were going to have to get great at consults just as they were great at procedures. And so training is a line item on our P&L, and it's not just clinical training. It's sales and marketing and consult training as well. You've got to be good at all the pieces of the puzzle to succeed. Um, back to Luis's comments about the exit. I, I did come into this from having helped people buy and sell their businesses for a decade. Uh, and I would sit there and look at my dental practice clients versus my business clients. And the dentist is wondering why he's got, um, he's getting one and a half times his cash flow for his practice. And the guy running the plumbing company with a dozen plumbers out in trucks is getting five times his cash flow. And the answer is the dentist is the practice. So when he leaves, that's the end. He's really yeah. just selling a patient list and, and, and a location. Well, guess what? Anybody can go buy the equipment and build out a location. Now, that dentist who has a half a dozen dentists underneath him that he's running, and he's really kind of sitting back and training them and getting those kids right out of dental school to get fast and efficient, that guy's going to get 5X. I don't know about you, but when I buy a business to grow for myself, do I want to get 1.5X? Do I want to get 5X? And I can tell you right now, in this crazy time we're in, there are folks out there getting 7X for a $5 million company. Think yeah. about that for me. It's crazy, but it's awesome. Um, the how power is, um, is split up in the company and decentralized. If one person has too much power, then that one person's going crazy, and you're really stunting that uh, ability to make more money and sit back free. So, Kat, what Cass said in a microcosm was planning and running your business with the end in mind helps you run your best business now today. You'll not only make your best cha-ching when you exit out and sell, you're also going to make your best money now because it's all about cash flow. And cash flow is king, right? What do they yeah. say? Revenue is vanity. That profit is sanity, but cash flow is king. Everything else is just babble at the bar in front of your buddies. Right. That's awesome. So if you ain't got cash, you got nothing. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so a little cubby there. Start with the end in mind. Understand what you have to get to, and build the structure to get there. Never be one deep on anything. That was something else. Cast just alluded to. Right. If you're one deep on something, whether it's what you do uh, as a business person, it's what you do as a practitioner. You're the only injector. Mm. A. Somebody's. You know. Hey. You know, you just had a great weekend and your kid dropped the fireplace log on your hand and you can't inject or you make up something, you know, and next thing you know, you got a problem, you know, oh, by the way, you want to retire and you're the only injector and you do a million a year in injectables. 
Um, yeah, you're not going to get too much for it because they're going to follow you. If they don't stay for you, they're not staying for anybody. So end in mind, work it backwards. You got to run the plan and make it run on its own. How did Cass get to come up to Virginia and spend three days with me? Because she has her stuff together at her clinic and she has a team that can run it without her there. That's how she can do it. That's pretty darn smart. <laughs> so just by the myself, that happened in a year's time. So I was able to get to a level three business in under 12 months, being a top provider of all products that we carry. Cool sculpting me in the first. But now I get to teach others how to do that same thing. And it's not working harder. It's not. Um, it's, it's kind of thinking outside the box and, and looking at your business globally, looking at it and stop looking in it. Um, yeah. Let's, let, yeah. Think about this for a minute. Not only do you have time to breathe because your business is running itself and you're not one deep on anything, but you're like ahead of 95% of your competitors. And that means 95 out of a hundred people want you to come to them, want to pay you big bucks and to have you teach them what you do. How good is that? Uh, sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That can happen to you too. This industry is expanding at warp drive. About to say and, um, oh, by the way, you're not at a point now, unless you're in little podunk nowhere and there's not a single competitor in town, you're not someplace where you can be a rank amateur at marketing vibe. You yeah. can't. It's just too hard. You know, if yeah. you're in any kind of a major metro area, I don't care how good an injector you are, how good an exilist operator you are, how good a liposuction surgeon you are, if you don't have great marketing, and it is changing literally at warp drive. I mean, the last year, the changes in marketing in the digital world are massive and happening almost in real time. Luis, before, um, before we get off, I want to know, do you think that marketing is becoming easier? Because my feel is that as long as we're getting, you know, with the right people, you know, I am in a podunk town. I don't have a lot of competitors. However, it costs about a thousand dollars in um, client acquisition money to get a new client by spa yeah. because it's far away. Um, Luis is excellent at that. I, I feel there's no Amazing. risk building in a bigger town right now. And that's going to, that's going to decrease significantly. I'm very excited about that. But Luis, do you think as the, um, the abilities that you have to kind of sniper uh, approach your marketing campaigns, do you think marketing is becoming easier for you in your niche um, or the opposite? Well, so, so yeah, really good point. Like it's essentially guys, like it's, I would, and I'll say this again, right? Like in, in our last episode, I said, guys, these are simple principles, right? Like these are simple things that can be done. Marketing is technically like, if you really think about it, like can be simple. It's not a hundred percent easy. Like it, it is easier than it was, you know, 10 years ago, because obviously the technology that's available to us today and, and like the way that we're able to reach people um, is a lot easier. Right. But it's, but it takes the work of like um, the, the biggest thing for me and the biggest thing that I, that I guess that we kind of struggle with right now is that first piece in our last episode, which is building market authority. And as much as we, we want to help our clients facilitate that, at the end of the day, there still needs to be a face and there's still, the client still, still needs to be willing to create content. It's easy. It's easy to think about. Like, you know, it's not hard to create content, guys. Like, 
a lot of times like we put our, our, me our mental barrier in front of us that says, oh, you know what? I can't do a video because, you know, whatever reason. I don't have time today. Or, you know, I, I, didn't, put, I didn't put makeup on. <laughs> like, or like, I, I, why would somebody, somebody want to hear about me, right? Like, you know, there's all these mental blocks that stop us from creating, con creating content. But really all people want to do is hear from you. <laughs> yes. From your expertise. They want to so, trust the people working on them. Yeah, exactly. I want to say, trust them. who's behind the business. People want to know who's behind the business. Who's going to be injecting, you know, like who's going to be doing their stuff, right? And so I want to say, um, I just want to say, you know, I, I think it's important for um, providers, for business owners out there to understand differences in marketing companies and understanding that marketers are now the, the most advanced marketers are um, adopting a niche. And they're working hard in that niche to understand and be an expert in that niche. So if you're working with a company that kind of blanket markets, uh, works for a whole lot of different people. I know one of my clients is working with the company that does Tony Robbins campaigns. Well, that's great, but they know Tony Robbins business. And so things like, like what you just said, um, getting content out, you're not going to hear that from a lot of mar marketing companies because they're not specializing in this niche. And that's what this niche needs. So if you're working at want everybody to kind of question that too. If you're working with a large company, a company that does um, even multiple types of medical businesses, even like, you know, totally and OBGYN and med spas, think about that because somebody like Luis is studying all day, every day, how to get more non-surgical aesthetics clients into practices. So who's going to know more about it? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to appeal to a client who is fundamentally different from the OBGYN client. The OBGYN client is using insurance. They have illness, they have issues, they've got to go. That's a whole different beast than the discretionary spend, cash out of their pocket, yes. med spa client. It's two different animals. So medicine is medicine, is medicine, but marketing is not the same. And yeah. you must, must have some of industry. We ask our clients to come to us because we are specialists in our industry. And so that's what in the last 10 years I've seen in, in the marketing industry is that now you get to find a specialist in your industry. So make sure you do that. It. Yeah. Um, the, the big thing here, guys, is, is looking at marketing as a, as a whole. It's not just now. It's not just like now, oh, if I do social media, I'll be good. Or if I do SEO, I'll be good. If I do Google ads, I'll be okay. You know, if I do TV or whatever, you know, like, but Mark, like looking at it as a whole and like, and what I tell, what I tell people all the time is like, those are all tactics, right? And, and Leah, I know you get this, right? Yeah, strategy, what's the difference between strategy and tactics, right? Well, what we want to look at is strategy. Like, what is the strategy? Once we define what the strategy is, then we'll leverage any tactic we need to, you know what I mean? Like we don't have to stick to like just one medium over another, you know what I mean? But looking at it as a whole and trying to figure out, okay, well, the first thing is really that like marketing authority, like positioning yourself as an authority, as a local expert, local celebrity, all that stuff in your marketplace, people want to see you. Uh, and then from there, you know, having the systems in place, to really uh, leverage that market authority and actually turn those into actual people in seats and then paying customers, right? So if you haven't listened to episode seven, go ahead and go to, you know, go to episode seven and listen to, to that whole system. That's what we talked about Cassie and I last week. Uh, so take a listen to that. And, um, um, the other thing, Leon, I know you and I were talking about this and Cassie, you kind of, we, you and I kind of touched on it a little bit. It's like, you said not anymore. Like, 
uh, Leon, in, in this episode just a few minutes ago, you said, um, whereas before, a few years ago, and, yeah, Cassie, you and I have talked about it. Um, like, if you were just okay, if you were one of the first ones in the business, in your, like, area, then you were golden. You know, you were profiting, profiting you are making money, you were setting figure practice, all that stuff. Now, it's not like that anymore. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's not. still young, right? The market is still relatively young, the industry, right? We're getting to this point that if you're not leveraging, like, you know, obviously, like, the best in tactics, and I'm not even just talking about marketing, guys. I'm talking about providing an excellent service, everything that we're, we've been talking about today. You're just not, you know, that, that place where you were at, and you're gonna you're gonna fall off that you know top area. If you're yeah. The market is growing at such a rate that if you're not innovating, if you're just doing what you've always done and not thinking about the next cool thing, and I'm not talking about like the next cool machine so much as then you know how to add one percent of value to everything that you do, how to give more than your competitors are giving without reinventing the wheel. If you're not innovating, exactly. uh, and you're just imitating, then you're gonna just kind of fall into this place where you're splitting revenue with a whole lot of people because the innovators are what people are looking for. So people who have new ideas and new ways to, to execute the new strategies. So, um, that's why working, you know, working with Luis gives me so much insight, uh, on the market, but you, you know, you're not only like, I get what I, my business ideas and everything come from me, but Luis is able to give me more of a national, um, insight he's he's able to give me information about what other markets are doing what's going on you know and so it's um been very valuable to work with yeah. a medical spa marketing specialist he's also generating his own set of numbers that you can balance against that others don't yep. have they've got two bed spas they got three dental practices they got an OBGYN. they got a yep the steakhouse down the street Luis has med spas yep and he's he's gonna he's gonna even, have a, a baseline for you to for you to excel from. Even the the data on the specific services that he's marketing in different markets that's been absolutely valuable as we work into um, injectables campaigns, um, you know, laser campaigns. Like this this guy has a lot of knowledge. I'm talking you up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think one of our future topics should be. Uh, the anatomy of a new system expansion and how you do it. I, I, on some of the on some of the Facebook chat boards I'm on, people are like, should I buy uh, Cool Sculpting or a Cyton Halo? And you're like, wait a minute, they're totally different systems. And how can we possibly know what you should buy? Because we don't know the market you're in, we don't know what your competition's like, we don't know uh, who the patient base is, we don't know the culture of your yeah culture, of your practice. And oh by the way, how about the real question, which is, in what order should I do things when I bring on a new system? come up with a marketing plan for it, train my people for it, then bring the thing on before I, you know, jump on the grenade of, the, of committing to this payment every month for the next five years of my life. Uh, understanding the, the, the ROI on it, you know, and what the consumables really cost and not trusting the sales rep. Why? Right. What do they tell you? Oh, don't worry to take this lease. It's six months, same as cash. You'll pay it off in six months. Uh, how many people actually do that? If you really talk to the leasing guys, yeah, one percent. So you're gonna be stuck in that league up for five years, right? And you didn't have a marketing plan. <laughs> Here's the other thing you didn't know: like that same sales rep, yeah, he's gonna go place another half a dozen boxes within ten miles of you. Yep. And what yep. looks like easy money? Yeah, no, it's not. And you he's got, gonna you got, tell your marketing plan to your competitors so that everybody. Yeah. Has 
And they're all, and, and none of you know he's talking to all of you. You need to assume he's talking to all of you. And he's giving you the same, the same stuff. I, this makes so, me point out that we have a community here on the MedSpa Accelerator um, group. We have a community of business owners in the MedSpa industry and um, some technicians and all of that are in here. But this is a great, I actually don't see people collaborating. And so I'm like, you know, how, how smart is that? You're not using a free resource, guys. If you have questions, ask them. All the people in this yeah. group, including yeah. myself. Start and oh, sorry. And if you're listening, if you're not on the group, go to Facebook and just search for Medsmall Accelerator and you'll find the group and just, just request to join and we'll add you on there ASAP. I, I am, I'm uh, opening a new spa today, so I'm sitting outside of it. Yes! Uh, uh, my architect's looking at me like he might need me, so I'm going to hop up. Um, yeah. And you guys have an excellent day. Thanks, thanks again. And, uh, yeah. well, next congratulations, week. Cass. Thank yeah, well, you. let's just close off here. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode. If you have questions, ask us, email us, join, the, join us on our group, and uh, visit. Uh, again, if you want to listen to this, go to iTunes, go to Spotify, any other podcasting platform. You can check us out. Leave us a review. And uh, we hope you all have a wonderful, uh, amazing Thanksgiving. Uh, and we'll catch you all next week. All right. Have a good one. Take care, folks.